0: Before we start this special episode of Who's Who, the Fire and Water Podcast Network wants to say our thoughts are with the people of Houston and everyone affected by Hurricane Harvey, as well as those in the path of the upcoming Hurricane Irma. Our extended nuclear subfamily reaches all over the world, and there are many of us who have been and will be dealing directly with the fallout from these events. We implore everyone listening to this to consider making a donation to a number of worthwhile charities that are bringing help to all the people and animals caught up in these catastrophes. Shaq and I like to end a lot of our shows with fan the flame and ride the wave. We've always meant that as a shorthand, meaning let's all support each other in whatever geeky endeavors we choose. So now, more than ever, let's fan the flame and ride the wave, everybody. Thank you. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and
1: Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC, who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold,
0: Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrigan, and Arisia and Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What?
2: What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC
0: Who's Who. Oh, man. We forgot
2: Slipknot.
0: Welcome to a special best of episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, JLA edition. As all of you know, the Justice League movie hits theaters just about two months from now, so we thought it would be fun to dip back into the Who's Who vaults and compile all the listings for members of the classic Justice League and put them all together in one episode. We've done a uh, best-of show before, last year when we did a memorial tribute to Murphy Anderson. The response we got to that episode was very positive, so we thought it would be fun to try it again. But before we do, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Instock Trades. This episode of Who's Who is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Uh, since this is a Justice League-centric episode, I picked in two JLA books. First is Justice League of America, The Silver Age, trade paperback, Volume 2. It reprints Justice League numbers 9 through 19 by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. These are the ones that feature brand new covers by Michael Cho, and I have uh, talked about on the show before. I'm a huge, huge fan of Michael Cho. Uh, I just want this guy to draw everything for the DC Universe. It features just a beautiful cover of Wonder Woman and the rest of the team smiling and happy as they're ready to dispense some justice. It's a great collection. Um, The normal price is $19.99 for 296 pages, but in stock, trades price is $11.59. You save 42% off a great book full of classic JLA goodness. And then the second choice is Justice League of America, the Silver Age back Volume 3. This collects Justice League numbers 2230. This is, features the uh, first JLA-JSA team-up. They take on Felix Faust, Despero, Dr. Light, and a bunch of other baddies. Again, by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski with another new cover by Michael Cho featuring all of our classic members of the JLA. This one's kind of an Adam and Green arrow center cover, which is super, super cool. 296 pages again. Normal price $24.99. In stock trades price is $14.49. You save 42% as well. So for these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com, and we thank them for their support. Okay, now it's time for some classic JLA. So find your nearest transporter device and prepare to beam up to the JLA satellite, located 22,300 miles in geosynchronous orbit above Metropolis.
1: Next up, uh, hmm, what could be a kapow moment uh, of the issue is a Justice League of America two-page spread. You've got in the background, the print is two colors this time. It's an American flag, and a big, huge American flag with all the Justice League of America members rushing at you. It's got the traditional satellite-era logo up there, that beautiful sort of uh, shield shape of Justice League of America, and of course you've got... Um, Sort of, you got your your main Silver Age Justice League characters sort of in the center: your Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Batman. I'm sorry, uh, Superman, Flash, Green Arrow, all those folks, and then kind of the, the the Justice League Detroit characters, which were the current JLA, are sort of on the on the outer edges. You get your Vixen and Vibe off on the side, and you get uh, Gypsy and Steel. So, um, art's by Luke McDonnell and Bill Ray. Now, I'm just gonna be straight up honest here and brutal and i'm sorry but in an era where you've got george perez drawing crisis and new teen titans and he used to draw jla having luke mcdonald work on this book uh and 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 draw these characters you know your main characters it just it falls flat it really does
0: yeah I, i think he's a fine artist but i don't think he was the right artist for this book um Yeah, I mean this is an okay piece, uh, but but yeah, I don't, and I understand why they got him to do it because he was the current artist, but it it does feel like a bit like a missed opportunity there. Um, I I, I mean, some of the poses are kind of funny, and Adam is out of proportion, and Snappercar is there entirely, which sucks, and Black Canary kind of looks like a man, and uh, yeah, there's it's considering this is the preeminent team of this entire publishing house. Um, This feels like a, 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 you know, like a swing and a miss.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they did do the fun thing where you get all the heads along the sides, which is, you know, JSA, I'm sorry, is famous for where you get all the little heads on the far right and far left. But even those, I mean, uh, with the exception of maybe Hawkwoman and and Phantom Stranger, they all are are kind of a miss as well. So even my beloved Firestorm, and, and cool Aquaman don't really save this piece. So um, I like
0: Hawkman and Hawkgirl are holding hands though. That's nice.
1: Oh that's sweet. I didn't notice that and she's actually looking at him sort of adoringly.
0: Yeah that's, that's nice too. That's, yeah. that's
1: kinda cool. So now uh why did I have down – oh, so some of the text is fun here where they talk – the JLA's origin, of course, where they fight those uh, aliens, the Apple X aliens. <laughs> I love it. They, it's those capital letter things they do. They're giving people titles. They talk about Martian Manhunter as, in capital letters, Manhunter from Mars. And then Aquaman's the undersea ace. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so I love that a bit. Now, at this point, the JLA's origin – uh, it was on the verge of changing, just in post-crisis, slightly, where they were going to remove Wonder Woman from the original batch of J.L.A. Uh, and, re- and replace her with Black Canary. Uh, now, see, I don't mind that. I, I kind of like the post-crisis version uh, of it being really kind of second-tier characters. You know, Green Lantern, Flash, Black Canary, um, i trying to remember uh, who else, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter...
0: It. Know, yeah, okay. it was it was the it was the five with Black Canary subbing for Superman, Wonder Batman, Woman. and Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah, see, I I kind of liked that, yeah. but either way, so it's it's just interesting. Now, Snapper Carr, you know, is uh, in here. God. So why does that? Bother? I mean, he belongs here, doesn't he?
0: I don't know. I, I, I mean, I guess technically, but I just felt like he was never he was an honorary member. That's not a member. He's an honorary member.
1: Well, then Phantom Stranger shouldn't be there
0: either. Phantom Stranger was asked to be a member of the team, and he while he did not answer, he later showed up in, in other issues saying, Well, I am a member, right? And nobody dissuaded him of it, so
1: Well Snapper Car played such an important role for so many years. He I deserves know. to I, be here. I just
0: I just hate Snapper Car.
1: Well it's it's like putting Danny Chase in a Titans picture.
0: You have to do uh, it. I know. You not, I've, nobody wants to, but I you can't, have to. I can't argue with its veracity, but I still hate it just because I think he's such go. a doofus character.
1: <laughs> now, they, they acknowledge the new team in here. Um, you know, it's just, it's, they're really mean to Justice League Detroit, DC <laughs> was. I mean, no wonder. It's just like, even if. DC should have gotten behind the book and promoted it. You know, they should have been like, "This is the new Justice League." You know, sure, they're going to have to, you know, prove their worth, but by golly, they're the Justice League. You know, they've done they've done a hell of a lot better job with the Justice League: Detroit in flashbacks over the last twenty years than they did back then. I mean, they treated them like shit. Whoops, sorry. Um, Whoa, okay. sorry, I didn't mean to say that. But anyway, I mean, it goes on here, it lists them out, and it says whether or not this new Justice League will ever attain the legendary status of the original original remains to be seen, as of this writing. You know it could have been more like the new team's got a long road ahead of us but oh, ahead of them but they're gonna make it or you know, something i don't know i'm grumpy about that okay that's enough said about
0: that next listing here it is baby this is this this is this is this is this is what you paid your dollar for um <laughs> aquaman drawn by chuck Patton, the great chuck Patton, the great underrated chuck Patton, friend of the aquaman shrine chuck Patton. Not
1: going to get any arguments from me. Um, no,
0: uh, and uh, also the guy who uh, the Aquaman trained helped to uh, reunite with his fiance, but that's a whole other story. Um, and inked by Dick Giordano, great combination. It's a beautiful shot of Aquaman looking majestic and regal. He's not he, – he's swimming. He looks like he's flying, but he's also swimming because you've got some bubbles in, in the background. And then in the background, uh, serpent image, you see him knocking the crap out of some rock. ...using his uh, telepathic powers and also riding his seahorse looking very majestic. Um, it's just great. It's a great page. It, it, if I had, like, unlimited funds to buy, like, the five greatest pieces of Aquaman original art, this would be on my list. You know, I would want to track this down and buy this original piece because I just, I just love it. I think it's it makes Aquaman look fantastic and, like, upbeat and cheery and heroic and just classic. You know, just just classic.
1: Absolutely. I I was reading um, Justice League at this point. Uh, the, the Justice League Detroit at this point. So this was, you know, my Aquaman at that time. So absolutely love this Aquaman. Because uh, I mean, Chuck Patton was kind of the, one of the main guys on J- JLD. I like how they're demonstrating Aquaman's strength. You know, you and I have talked before. That's one of his powers you don't get to see too often. And that gorgeously ornate you know, trident in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Just right underneath the logo just kind of sets off some of the majesty of it. I think it's a great piece. And this is a good example of where you get a character who has a lot of history starts to push the artwork a little smaller.
0: Yeah, absolutely. great point.
1: Because, I mean, you're, you're here, you're probably looking at, I don't know, um, I, I, the drawing's not even two-thirds of a page. You know, it's a little bit less than two-thirds of the page you've got so much text. Yeah.
0: Yep, that's true. It was interesting where it says, underwater, his swimming speed is in excess of 100 miles an hour. That's really fast. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's yes, really it is. That's, that's very, very fast. But I like how they didn't pigeonhole themselves. They said,
1: in excess, rather than, you know, like Marvel yeah, his swimming speed is 102 miles an hour. Well, someone's got 103,
0: he loses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. It's 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 a, it's a perfect thing. And, you know, I also love that um, – I guess this is the perfect time to mention it. In the first appearance listing, it lists more fun comics number 73, which is, of course, as any Aquaman Aquaman fan knows, is his first appearance. Now, that is technically, if you want to – because they're really talking about the Earth 1 version here, the Silver Age version of Aquaman. Um So you could argue that this Aquaman did not first appear in Morphin Comics number 73. He first appeared later on in in, uh, an issue of Adventure Comics. Some people argue as to which is really the first one or not. But they're kind of – DC is acknowledging the history by saying, look, this core concept of a character first appeared in this issue. As opposed to getting into the nitty-gritty of like, well, he he maybe kind of first appeared here. They're just saying, no, Aquaman as a concept first appeared in Morphin Comics number 73 and just going with that.
1: All right, nerd fight time. Um, Yeah, I suppose you have more knowledge of Aquaman than me, but I I can usually hold myself in a discussion. But didn't the whole concept of an Earth-1 versus Earth-2 Aquaman not come up until later in the All-Star Squadron series? Because, like, was there ever a reference to an Earth-1, Earth-2 Aquaman
0: uh, until that point? Basically, yeah, Roy Thomas was the first guy to really make it to – to do it explicitly and say, yes, there is an Earth-2 character. They, th- there was a definite demarcation point because he changed origins. Sure. you know, And that's the point. But they never really – but yeah, the Earth-2 Aquaman was never really mentioned in any issue of Justice League or like any of those JLA, JSA team-ups or anything like that. They really just forgot about him. And essentially, that after the Earth 2 Aquaman stopped appearing in Adventure Comics, you know, sort of unofficially, he basically did not appear again for 30 years. And then he reappeared in in a cameo in the All-Star Squadron where he is mentioned as existing. And that was Roy Thomas' thing of saying, you know, okay, no, that one that was around in the Golden Age, that's the Earth 2 Aquaman.
1: Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is at this point, though, I think. DC's mindset was there wasn't an Earth-2 Aquaman. It was – their stories started in the 40s and they just said, ah, it's all the same guy. It's just – this is – you know, compress the timeline. Don't worry about the the dates and say it's the same mm,
0: guy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean they – Sort of like Green Arrow. Yeah. I mean I don't know though. I mean because you said earlier that they already had the crisis in mind and they did. They already had the crisis going and part of the idea of the crisis was to get rid of those core five characters, the Earth-2, Superman, Batman – Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Green Arrow. So they—I think they probably had that in mind.
1: Aquaman and Green Arrow were an afterthought. I'm telling you, it was Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman for sure. I will, like
0: I, Aquaman and Green Lantern was all, and Green Arrow was all like, whatever. I will there. have to ask Roy Thomas because he's the one who wrote, who, who had the task of writing them out of continuity. Well, I mean, I
1: think Roy had a different mindset. Roy intentionally wanted to say there was an earth one and earth two but i'm saying before that though this is a total nerd fight sorry folks um that before that point though i don't think anyone had ever considered an earth one earth two aquaman it was just aquaman who happened to exist on earth one hmm. do, you, do, do you understand do you understand the subtle difference of what i'm saying
0: i don't know if i do okay well
1: you know some people are faster on the uptake than others
0: yeah bit. i guess so yeah, all right i am okay. still right but okay um
1: <laughs> yellow gloves does not mean earth two <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay
0: um. <laughs> <laughs> All that's coming out Of course the next one Is the big one Batman The, the modern age Batman Drawn by Dick Giordano Which is perfectly appropriate um, As Dick Giordano art goes This is a little disappointing Batman is just standing there Not doing anything terribly exciting But part of it is they just There's not a lot of space There's just so much information That they have to impart There just is not a whole lot of room
1: So of course, Yeah I disagree. Yeah. See, I think it's a great image because it's, it's a contrast to the other one. You know, Batman: Earth Two is running at the camera; his capes all float out. Here, he's standing there, imposing. I mean, he's—he looks like a scary mofo in this drawing. He is
0: definitely more grim, Avenger of the Night
1: here. Yeah, right? and it, I mean, I, the hand raise—I don't necessarily get that, but I mean, he's—he's he's he's there, and down it's, down there, it, there's a—yeah, I guess it's a fist, but he, there's a presence. And he's standing there instead of having to chase the villain. He's standing there imposing and scaring (laughs) the villain. So I think these two actually would have worked well on opposite pages. Yes. Because of that nature, because you've got you know the other one had the classic Bat Batmobile. This one has the modern Batmobile. Yeah. They both they both have Joe Chill shooting the parents. They both have you know. So I think that it's it's almost like these two were designed to be on facing pages. I think. Yeah,
0: it is kind of you know one of the the downsides to having like a fixed format like this is that you know the characters don't always. You know, yeah, Yes, it would have been more appropriate to have the two Batmans facing each other. But
1: because it's, all it's all Baron Earth's fault. Yeah, Baron, all
0: damn, damn you, Baron Bedlam! <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, they, when, when they did the updates, they got Alan Davis to do the, the Batman entry, and they gave a lot more space to the art because they just realized... Because I think here they were still kind of figuring out that they could give some of their main characters two pages. Mm-hmm. I think here they were still figuring everybody just gets one page, the teams get two pages, but character me but but they quickly fixed that um, as they went on they realized oh no no we got to give some people two pages and within a couple of issues they've already changed that format so I think that here is that rule is still in effect for Batman because clearly had they realized it would have been appropriate to do two pages you would have given the, the, the modern Batman two pages
1: I mean like mean, six pages yeah,
0: probably, yeah really um, it, it,
1: it's a fun entry to read because this is this is an interesting period of Batman's history. It's before year, uh, year one came out, mm-hmm. but it's after Jason Todd had premiered, so and before Crisis. So it's it's the Jason Todd that only existed for a short period of time. It's the circus performer Jason Todd incarnation. There's some interesting differences with Joe Chill and stuff like that. So this is a snapshot of a Batman that really was only around for, you know, like pieces of his history were only around for a short period of time before Crisis came along and changed and year one changed everything.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, these are these are characters in flux. Uh, and yes, as you say, this Batman is an incomparable athlete far beyond. <laughs> although here it says far beyond Olympic level, not far beyond mere Olympic level. <laughs> Good lord. So they didn't take the dig at the Olympians here. Um,
1: they were short on words.
0: <laughs> they could have fit in some space.
1: Next page, you get, this is your kapow moment of the issue, folks. It is the Silver Age Flash. And it's the The only two page spread in the book i believe and it has barry allen flash running in from the side of the page sort of running at you and then in the surprint you see all kinds of images of barry you see him getting getting struck by the chemicals and lightning you see him unfolding his costume you see the heads of a lot of his uh rogues gallery and uh it's pretty pretty neat so
0: i think it's the only character to this point that got he's got two pages the only only solo character to get two pages
1: Yes, in fact, we 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 were kind of debating about this previously because you know when Batman got one page, there was like an uproar in the letters page about it, and so you know we've often wondered whether it was intentional for Flash to have this the whole time or whether it was a result of all the kvetching. So I don't know, but. Here's where I mean. Look at the history.
0: I mean, the <laughs>
1: uh, oh, I'm going to talk about that now. Now, first of all, I by the way, I don't. I think I failed to mention it's drawn by Carmen Infantino and Murphy Anderson. You know, it absolutely should be drawn by Carmen Infantino. Yes, I mean, it really should. So, uh, the history. Uh, okay, two full columns of text here because they had lots of space to work with it being a two page entry. Two full columns of history, and unfortunately. One entire column is almost entirely devoted to the Flash Trial, which is not the most fondly remembered piece of Barry Allen history. And as you read this entry, it rightfully so is not that fondly (laughs) remembered. So I was like, oh, there's so many other things they could have talked about with Barry. So that's a a little saddening. But anyway, it's it's still, it's Barry. I mean, he gave us the Silver Age. He's one of the most important characters um, to come out of DC Comics, and... This comic, as I mentioned earlier, came out two weeks before Crisis on Infinite number eight. So if you know your Crisis history, this published two weeks before Barry's death. So, in fact, I, you know, they don't mention it here, but they just mentioned he, uh, that he was living in the 30th century, which is where he is in the beginning of Crisis. You know, he, he joins them by coming from the 30th century. Right. But it is a it is a nice celebration of the character, because you see so many elements in the in the Serpent, which is, is well done. And, um... There's a weird thing in here. It says – talking about his origin? It, they take the time to say in parentheses, an account alleging that the accident that gave Alan his powers was actually staged by a being, a being named Mopey is entirely incorrect.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> – What? <laughs> okay. You, do you know that story? No. Oh, okay. All right. I'll, let's, I'll take the time out to tell the story. And some point uh, in the uh, mid-60s, I think it might even be Flash number 163. I don't know why I know that, but anyway. It's revealed that it was not accidental that Barry Allen got hit by lightning. Of course, now they've undone all that with the whole speed force and all that stuff. But anyway, they had the story where it, where it was revealed that Barry didn't accidentally get the powers. The lightning bolt was directed at him by a magical imp named Mopey. <laughs> and he was basically the Flash version of... You know, Mr. Mixpedalick or Batmite or Quisp or, you know, any of the – all the, all the you know, all the major heroes had their own little magical imps. So anyway, apparently it didn't take too long after the story was published for the comics fandom as it existed at the time to just go, no, <laughs> no, no. We are not – and Mopey became like one of the first, as far as I can – as far as I understand it, became one of the first instances of – the comics fans and the comics publishers sort of getting together unofficially and saying, Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we published it, but that didn't really happen. So this feels like Len Wein and Marv Wolfman and the other guys having a laugh at Moby's expense by bringing him up only to just then dismiss him. And um, Robert Lauren Fleming and Ambush Bug um, brought Moby back. Um, uh, what did I say? Robert Lauren Fleming and Keith Giffen. Brought him back in an issue of Ambush Bug, where he that t- must be
1: why I remember where, Mopey he t- existing. where he
0: talks about. He says, "I am part of the continuity of the DC universe, and there's nothing you can do to stop me, fanboys." So uh,
1: <laughs> that's funny. Okay, because I remember Mopey, I just couldn't place it, but Ambush Bug makes a lot more sense.
0: Yep.
1: <laughs> it's utterly bizarre. Yep. Two two art notes. I, I've always loved you know Infantino's work, where when Barry's running really quickly, he always draws Barry. As like an outline in the speed lines, mm-hmm. so I love how you can see it's not just a group of speed lines, but you see Barry doing stuff in the speed lines. I always like that. I thought that, that's be a nice team to isn't? draw
0: too. Good
1: lord! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Definitely. And then this is just a weird note. Like the surprint, it shows Barry folding the costume out, the, the Flash costume out of his ring. Mm-hmm. Like, it took me forever to figure out what he was wearing. I'm like, what is he wearing? Is that like an 18th century tuxedo? What, <laughs> what the hell is he doing? You know? Then I realized, no, he always wears a bow tie and he's just wearing an overcoat. Right. <laughs> like, oh, I, think I apparently couldn't piece that all together. He just kind of
0: looked like he's ready for a duel or something
1: like that. I was thinking like the opera, but anyway. <laughs> Next up
0: is the most boring man <laughs> in the DC One universe. of the ones Shag just said well, he wants to die. Hal Jordan. Yep. Green Lantern.
1: Hal Jordan. There it is, folks. Um, I think Hal Jordan is so boring. So anyway, uh, I probably just pissed off a lot of people with that.
0: But He's got killer abs, though. You gotta say. Look at that. Drawing he out. does.
1: He does. Yeah, he could sell exercise machines. Uh, Gil Kane did the art as he should. You know, you got your classic Green Lantern logo. It is a very nice picture by Gil Kane of Green Lantern mm-hmm. and all the Surprint. print. You've got Avon Sir. Hal doing a couple different things. Close up of his face. I mean, it's a really nice drawing. I really like it. Um, Great profile, especially. Hal's face looks really cool. I like the shadowing going on there.
0: I think this needed to be two pages,
1: frankly. What's that? I think this needed to be two pages. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to give Barry Allen... Well, I guess Barry Allen was going out, so it kind of makes sense to give him two pages. But yeah, it would not have hurt. Green Lantern... Hal Jordan is a a major, major part of the DC Universe. It it certainly wouldn't have hurt to give him two pages. That's fair. And uh, you you get... uh, you get the mention of his cousin, the other Hal Jordan, who's Airwave up there. I like that. <laughs> uh, also, at this point, Hal Jordan had actually retired as Green Lantern. Right, which so is this... why he doesn't get the front cover spot. Right, exactly, because uh, because John Stewart was headlining the Green Lantern comic at this point. So, um, you get a lot of facts in this one, and not a lot of personality. So, it's another one of those where it's, it reads sort of like a, a official handbook of the Marvel Universe, where you get facts, facts, facts... Not a lot of sense for who the character is. So, you know,
0: that's all I got. Like I said, I I needed two pages, I really think. I thought that about Green Arrow as well. I thought Green Arrow needed two pages. I think some of the, these are the big, heavy hitters of the DCU, and they need a little more space. But. That's, that's, that's very fair. Yeah.
1: Getting to the meat of it here now, folks. Here is your marquee character, Martian Manhunter. Now, what I'd like each of you to do is to please write in and say, Guys... What a missed opportunity. Why on earth did you not have Diablo Frank record something and insert it here using his own Madcap of insanity covering Marsha Manhunter? Please write in and request that. Because somebody, and I don't mean Rob, thought that wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> and I don't mean either well. one of us. Anyway. Uh, art by Luke McDonald and Larry Malthus. And it is a very nice drawing. Luke McDonald really did a very nice drawing on these 14 or 15 lines he drew. Um he came out really good. It's very simplistic. That's why I joke about that. But it looks great. It's a very nice Martian Manhunter. Uh, as you read through the history, there's a whole lot of insanity here about Commander Blanks, which, by the way, is Frank's online handle as well on Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. They talk about the civil war between the green Martians and the white Martians. I had forgotten Martian Manhunter was a military leader in this. He gets exiled for a number of years, and that's when he gets transported to Earth. Talks about how he's changed his shape some over the years and how he's looked less and less alien as time goes by. I'd be interested to see what he looked like back in the 1950s. I don't really know what he looked like specifically, if it was that different. And there's a bit in here where it actually says his vision powers have not been fully explored, sort of implying there's something else going on. And in the Odd Couple Awards part of the show, uh, he lived with Hank Haywood Steele. So I like to think that Marshall Manhart was sort of the Oscar, and Steele was the Felix. You know, <laughs> Steele's leaving like you know bionic parts laying around, you know, un, you know unorganized, and Marshall Manheim is like stabbing them with his, his umbrella, going like, oh,
0: What? Clean now this- it's garbage." <laughs> what? Uh, never mind. I was doing a line from The Odd Couple. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I just didn't hear you. That was my. Uh, other now it's garbage. There we go. Uh,
2: So, nice entry. Uh, Would have been better covered by somebody else. All right. We have the Superman of Earth 1. Woo! Uh, With art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise Praise be his his name. name. Uh, We have a gorgeous shot of Superman hands on his hips. Uh, We got Clark Kent kind of uh, giving us a little wink or something. Either that or he's adjusting his glasses for his uh, nasty astigmatism. We uh, have the the I, classic. The what? I like to think he was uh, heat visioning Steve Lombard. Yes, please, <laughs> please. It's it's like that DC Comics Presents where Mongol captures Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Steve Lombard, and it's just like no anybody but Steve. Please don't kill Steve. I picture uh, Christopher Reeve smiling.
0: Don't do it. Yes. <laughs> the people. No, the people. <laughs> He's pretty convincing
1: with the, you know, don't put me in that glass tube. You know, the crystal tube all that's my power, so.
2: We get a nice shot of Superman fighting Brainiac, uh, who is in a light bulb, apparently. Uh, (laughs) We have have the, uh, what became the iconic Earth-1 rocket ship, uh, which uh, looks like a needle. Mm -hmm. And we have a nice shot of the Daily Planet staff, where... Clark is obviously bored with what his friends are talking about, and is looking over at a pretty girl.
1: <laughs> He's actually looking at China with his X-ray <laughs> and telescopic vision. I could
0: rebuild that wall with my vision, no problem.
1: <laughs> you know, it's a nice parallel here with this and the Earth Two version. Superman in the same pose, hands on hips. Mm-hmm. His cape's blowing a different way, but and the action is moving left to right. It's a, it's not. It's a nice parallel to the Earth One or Earth Two. I mean,
0: gorgeous. Well,
2: listing. this is gorgeous a- listing.
1: Oh, gosh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his yeah, name. His name. G- can't go wrong with that.
2: Well, and it's a very clever entry, too, because, you know, whoever wrote this factored in whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you have alter ego Clark Joseph Kent and Jordan Elliott uh, in that story, which I have make, uh, very harsh feelings about. Uh, <laughs> Real name, Cal L, with an E, uh, occupation newspaper reporter. Television news anchorman, uh mechanic, which is a nice little nod to uh, the end of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, where Superman, by the way, just gives up on humanity because he was apparently responsible for Mr. McShess Middleleg's death. Um, because, you know, deuces to humanity, you know, who cares about them? Let's let Dark Side come to Earth again. I feel bad about myself. Um, Mike? Yeah. What? Just move on. Get <laughs> uh, off the soapbox. Uh, again, a very depressing group of known relatives. Jor L. Father, deceased. Laura, mother, deceased. Zorel, uncle. Allura, aunt. Cara Zorel, cousin, deceased. Jonathan Kent, adoptive father, deceased. Martha Clark Kent, mother, deceased. Uh, Lois Lane Elliot, wife. Nice. Uh, Jonathan Elliott, son. Uh, Lucy uh, Lane's uh, sister-in-law. Sam and Ella were his uh, in-laws. And Lewis Lane was his cousin-in-law. Because apparently we needed to mention him. Why oh why couldn't Superman be related to Snapper Car? <laughs>
0: Ugh. Why would you wish uh, that upon him? Well then
2: Snapper oh. would be dead. Oh. Come on Jack, keep up. Oh. Sorry. Uh, group affiliation, the Legion of Superheroes Woo. and the Justice League of America. Uh, base of Operations Metropolis first appearance. This is kind of clever. Superman number 76. Why is that? Uh, that is the first meeting between Superman and Batman in the comics.
1: Uh,
2: okay. I that don't know is... if I'd quite put it there, though. That seems a little early. Well, see, Superman from the Golden Age to the Silver Age is not like, you know, The Flash or Green Lantern. You know, it's it's like a lot of people want to say... Action Comics number 248, because it was the first appearance of the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, but there are hints, but some people say that the very presence of Superboy points to the fact that the Earth-1 continuity started earlier. So it, it's kind of muddled, and you're not going well, to be fair, you're not going to get five Superman fans to agree on anything. Uh, I mean, to quote Bill Maxwell from The Greatest American Hero Pilot, they couldn't agree on, we can't agree on how to make Kool-Aid. <laughs> but uh so Superman number seventy six is as good as anything. Uh height, six three, so he's got an inch on the Earth One counterpart, and he's three Earth, pounds Earth, heavier.
1: Earth two counterpart. Earth two, excuse me. I call uh I call uh BS on on something here. Okay. Hair color. Black. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's blue.
2: <laughs> blue black hair?
1: Yep, blue black hair.
2: <laughs> Did the previous one say that he had uh black hair with white sideburns?
1: It just uh says nothing they skipped it, they skipped it oh. yeah, in the interest of space because there was too much text, they
2: must have cut it yeah. so then uh, they go you know the the writer goes through the high points of this uh, Superman's history, born on Krypton, science council, krypton. Uh, lots of crap happens on Krypton because, boy, they mined the hell out of that uh, history in backup stories and miniseries and such. Uh, this, super, this Clark Kent grew up to be Superboy, uh, who became a member of the Legion of Superheroes and had a good friend named Pete Ross who was constantly talking, thinking about the fact that he knew Clark's secret and was pestered by Lana Lang, the hot redhead that everyone goes out with in high school.
1: Everybody went out with Lana Lang. I went <laughs> out with her a couple times
2: uh, We also get into Martha and Jonathan dying <laughs> Because What is up with that? Caribbean cruise? Yeah they, yes. went on a, yeah, they went on a Caribbean cruise, and they drank from the, uh, f- a fountain of youth, which made them younger, which explained why, in the later Superboy stories, they kind of looked younger than the oldest hell people that they were in, like, the early comics, and then it turned out that they contracted an alien virus that Superman, Superboy couldn't cure, so they both died. That
1: is so true. I wonder, I wonder if that affected the cruise industry. I mean, like, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not going, and Pa Kent died, you know?
2: I, I don't think... Outside of Smallville, anybody know who, who, who Jonathan Worth No, I mean
1: like in the real world, like kids telling their parents,
2: "No, don't go on a cruise; you're going to die, Mommy and Daddy." I read it. a Superman comic. <laughs> I doubt it. I mean they're they're kind of they're kind of more worried about dysentery these days than, uh, <laughs> than than people dying after contracting alien viruses. <laughs> um, we 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 go through his, you know the the main villains and him going to. Um, Metropolis, all that. And then we get a pretty uh, decent retelling of uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Uh, in truth, the now powerless Superman adopted a new identity of mechanic Jordan Elliott, who married Lois to start a life of a typical working-class suburban family with their son, Jonathan, who has super strength. That's not uh, The powers and weapons are a little more... Extended Wait, in this one. Let's go back, though. Uh, Jordan Elliott. I assume
1: Elliot came from Elliott S. Magne. Like a, tr- a nod to him.
2: That might have been the metatextual, but Jordan Elliot, Jor-El.
1: Uh, uh, look at you uh, with the big brains.
0: <laughs> Shag. I figured that uh, really, out, I figured out, out when them? I was 15, Shag. Come on.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've never read the man who... Uh, I never read Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow.
0: Oh, good luck.
1: And the podcast comes to a stop. I, I really... I, I, well, I'm not I,
2: saying anything because I tend to get very v- vocal about this story. Oh, and
1: Lord, I, I've, I've heard so you go problem. on about it so many times. So,
2: really? Really? There's a wing dedicated
1: at the Flash Museum just about you bitching about this. It's, it's horrible.
2: Anyway. It's not used very much. Usually right. teachers sneak in there to make out and stuff because exactly. no one's going in there.
1: No one wants to hear it again.
2: Uh, he had a little more extensive uh, powers, uh, exposure to Earth's yellow sun and lesser gravity than Krypton, has granted Superman the power of flight, and a host of amazing abilities, including super strength, super speed, even to the point of being able to travel to different time periods, super breath, super hearing, super vision, including x-ray, heat, microscopic and telescopic, super hypnotism, Woo. everyone's favorite super ventriloquism, Best ever. and the ability to mimic anyone's voice. He also possesses super mental capabilities Allowed him to make super rapid calculations Speak and understand numerous earthen and alien languages And remember everything he has seen, heard or read What it doesn't mention is that There are actually holes in his memory From exposure to kryptonite Oh, that's convenient Uh, Superman is invulnerable to any other force than kryptonite magic uh, And everybody who... Listen, that is familiar with the kryptonite and magic thing. As soon as I started reading that sentence, finished it with saying kryptonite and magic. Power uh, levels are also affected by exposure to solar energy of different class stars. For example, an orange star sun will significantly reduce Superman's powers, while a red sun will negate his powers completely, and a blue sun will increase his powers and occasionally grant him additional abilities. His X-ray vision is incapable of seeing through lead. He can't see through lead. Through lead. And kryptonite will destroy him.
1: <laughs> I uh, I just got that. That's clever. Um, I didn't know about the blue sun until I read this. I knew about mm. blue, I knew about blue K, but I didn't realize a blue sun gave him additional powers and stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, it was the silver age and, and the bronze age. They they came up with all kinds of kooky stuff. to no. uh, comic the, the one thing the what do comic book writers not know how colors work?
0: <laughs> no. no, Just because something is orange does not change its scientific properties in any way <laughs> Color is just what we're seeing as it's refracted to our eyes It doesn't actually make the object any different <laughs>
1: Uh-oh. Don't, talk, well, don't let Jeff Johns hear you talk about that with the, with the colored lanterns Yeah,
2: well, yeah. okay <laughs> Well, the two things it doesn't mention is that his suit is actually also invulnerable uh, and on several occasions, because under a yellow sun, the Kryptonian fabric takes on <laughs> Superman's powers. So there have, been, there have been stories where he's lost his powers, but because he was wearing his suit, he was like, you know, the bullets bounced off his chest.
1: Oh um, Rex, Rex, or not Rex, Re Richards has got nothing on Kryptonian technology. Oh, my gosh.
2: Also, Superman's strength is Kryptonian in nature. It is not the Yellow Sun that does that. So he he even when he loses his powers because he is Kryptonian by nature, he is still more powerful than the average person. Really? Uh, it's it's just the the Yellow Sun gives him the heat vision and stuff like that. <laughs> I like the I like the idea
0: of the uh, his memory having holes in it due to Kryptonite, which gets you out of a lot of things. Like I forgot our anniversary, Lois. Sorry, Kryptonite. <laughs> All right, <they're> my <laughs> At the time I hit me with the with the green K
1: ray. Sorry, babe. I forgot
2: to take out the trash. Luther was just here. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if Jose Luis Garcia Lopez had praise been able, me to keep up, praise me his name, have been able to cons- keep up like a consistent monthly schedule. If Man of Steel would have been necessary down the line, mm. you know
1: what I'm saying? Just because it was his art was hot, uh, hip, and new enough.
2: And, and the writing, like, when Marv Wolfman came on to Action Comics, he he really kind of changed the direction. I mean, he broke Lois and Superman up. Uh, and then Superman started, and then Clark started dating Lana Lang. It was kind of a crazy time. All right, up
1: next is Wonder Woman, the Bronze Age version, with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. With assist- the with- Peter Praise be his name. With inks by Dick Giordano and Zoom Yakanori. <laughs> yes, folks, that's right. Uh, a couple issues ago, you remember we covered one, uh, Superman in the Bronze Age. Uh, Zoom had submitted in a gorgeous two-page spread of Superman using Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be mm-hmm. his name, artwork to create the long missing earth one superman entry for who's who that was has it just everyone went nuts over that absolutely loved it well he's done it again he has created a earth one wonder woman entry for us man it's gorgeous it will definitely be our on our tumblr and it will go viral i'm sure like the superman one did and uh, people will fall in love with this as well it's a gorgeous piece what he's put together you've got one Woman in the foreground running at you in the background you've got diana prince you know with her hair all pulled back in her glasses you see her mother hippolyta on paradise island um, you see her in her white pantsuit that you know she wore when she was in the uh, Diana yeah. Prince age. Yeah, her,
0: her Emma Peel look with E. Ching in the background. Is that who that is? Okay, yeah, I e. Ching, it was. yeah.
1: So you've got the invisible jet, which looks like Steve's flying it. Um, you've got her with her lasso fighting a giant robot thing, and then she's she's looping Cheetah. So uh, again, um, Jose Luisa Garcia artwork, Dick Giordano inking, and then in some of these panels, Zoom had to ink himself. So he gave himself a credit, which I think he is very deserving.
0: Yeah, he does. He absolutely deserves it. I, you know, if we had unlimited cash, which we don't, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> we don't even have limited cash. We have limited <laughs> cash. I would literally hire Zoom to do a whole book of missing Huzu character entries. Uh, I, I would send him a list of who should have been in Huzu and just have him do a whole book, and we would just do a whole issue. Uh, whole episode of the show Because this I love the Superman one And this one is just as good The Wonder Woman one Is just as good This is just so beautiful You didn't mention That the logo he uses From the 70s Oh comic. yeah good point Yeah, that... I mean it's just Such a beautiful <laughs> drawing He did such a great job I mean it just It looks like It looks totally legit Yes I mean if you put this In the middle of the book You would not know the difference I mean it well, is period perfect
1: I printed out the Superman one and, has, and I inserted it In my Who's Who comic I plan to do that With the Wonder Woman one As well
0: you notice the page numbers are five and a half and five and yes.
1: three-fourths. <laughs> absolutely perfect. I mean, he really was paying attention to the detail on this one. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're going to talk about the entry as if it's a legit who's who entry, because as far as I'm concerned, it is pretty damn legit. <laughs> so um, there's some fun things in here. Like, I didn't realize that um, she, uh, where is it, occupation, under uh, occupation <laughs> 17, I turned to 17 occupations. And then the the mod boutique.
0: What is that about? Mod boutique I, owner. United I don't remember United. that. So. Well, that's when, oh, well. At, that's when she was. That's when she was United oh, United Nations guy, translator, astronaut. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I am curious. We'll have to let Zoom tell us how much of this he pulled from, like maybe one of the uh, you know DC handbook role playing things, or if he compiled all this himself or Wikipedia or what. But uh, it, the the origin talks about again. Hippolyta created the the. the, the the baby from clay however in this case she created two babies she created both and one of them was whisked away by the evil god Mars who raised that baby as his own and that would grow up to be Wonder Woman's sister Nubia and Mars trained her to be a warrior you know you get the the very typical things we've already talked about you get Steve Trevor crashing on the island you get the tournament then you get her going on to man's world she becomes a military nurse ends up in military intelligence and they talk about there's a romance with Wonder Woman it's interesting um, And I guess this is more of a trope of the 70s, and I forget because I came up as a post-crisis baby, really. But Steve Trevor was in love with Wonder Woman, not with Diana Prince. Just like Lois Lane was in love with Superman, not Clark Kent. And for me, uh, you know, when I think of Superman, I think of like Lois was in love with Clark, not Superman. And I don't know in post-crisis if Steve Trevor ever really got romantically involved with Wonder Woman. I don't really know that, but either way. I have no idea. It's just always weird for me to think of a, a, a mortal man and a superhero together rather than their secret identity. But um, th- They do talk about how she gave up her powers and her Wonder Woman identity when the Amazons left Earth. And she uh, was trained by I Chang. And that was during, yes, her white pantsuit era, which was uh, Diana Prince, the new Wonder Woman, I believe. Yeah. Diablo Frank has a website in, even named after that, I think. Then Steve Trevor died. Which is very sad, and then Aphrodite was kind enough to bring him back to life twice. (laughs) Um, It gets really confusing. Like they found the body of Steve from an alternate universe and brought him here and put his spirit in him. They make everyone in the world forget he died. I mean, they went through a lot of effort just to get back to zero. Is kind of what it was, you know, back to the status quo. So, woo, that sounded like a heck of a story. Then her and Steve got married on Mount Olympus around the time of the crisis, and it was a very short-lived marriage, because um, during crisis, I I had forgotten this, I can't believe that, but during crisis, the anti-monitor in a battle basically threw her back in time, and she regressed to Clay.
0: Ooh, that's nasty. Yeah, just as they were escaping the portal, he like vomits up a whole bunch of fire and melts her into nothing. It was very offhand. It was just like, boom! Whatever was dead. Oh no! Let's keep going. You know, it was right. so yeah. quickly done. And that was just basically
1: so they could make way for our, the retconning version of the Peresman. Right, but right, right. so she's got gliding. She talks about how she's not invulnerable. She's uh, she's fluent in every language, including caveman and Martian. That's very helpful. And uh, so really, really neat stuff. And um, I Ching, you know, trained her in martial arts. So yep. I don't, I'm i totally floored by this.
0: Uh, he mentions, uh, he credits Wonder Woman number 98 as her first appearance. The first appearance uh, of this of the okay. Silver Age Wonder Woman. And I was like, where did he get that from? So I looked it up on Mike's Amazing World. And according to Mike, who is essentially the authority on this, he credits that issue as the first appearance. Because it says here, number 98 uh, this story features a new origin for Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman that is distinctly different from previous versions. All references to World War II have been removed, so this should be considered the origin of the Earth One version of Wonder Woman. I had no idea. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I mean, so, so, so Zoom was not just making that up. He pulled that from from an authority. <laughs> I don't think he just picked a random issue. <laughs> well, I figured he had a reason. I just didn't know. I didn't know that there was any sort of distinct thing. So that that makes that seems to make sense to me. So.
1: Well, I mean we we've had many a discussion over the over the last three years about the Superman breaking point of where right. Earth One takes over and right. the Batman breaking Batman, point. Where, right. yeah. yeah, so I mean it just makes sense as Wonder Woman. I just yep. I'm not as familiar with with Wonder Woman. Right. So
0: great job, Zoom. Great yep. job. Next up is Snapper Carr, no one's favorite. First appeared in Brave and the Bold number 28. Who cares? He's stupid. I hate him. Uh, he is an honorary member of the Justice League, which means they were showing an astonishingly lack, bad uh, – oh, I don't even have the energy to make a joke. I hate this guy. I always have. <laughs> he's He's a total twit. The artist by Joe Brzezowski, again, quite busy this month, Joe Brzezowski, and yeah. Bernard Sachs, who did some of the original inking for Justice League, so that was nice to get him. The listing itself is very boring. I like the character just standing there, snapping his fingers. I just, just...
1: Ugh. Well, the Serpent is really weird, the background shot of those three people, whoever. Like, I don't even know who those people are up there. Um, There's, like that's three... his family. Is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. And then there's that one shot where like there's a being with all these powers coming off of him, and it sort of reminds because you know Snapper Carr is the Rick Jones of the of the DC universe. They've established that many times, and he's like that scene sort of looks like that one where Rick Jones and all, where all the heroes pour out of him in the Scree Crawl War. And I'm like, wait a minute, did they do their version of that here? Now, one thing I've either I, I clearly I own a reprint of it because I own all the JLA issues, but I haven't read. When he betrayed the Justice League, helping the Joker. Like, was that, like, a retcon to explain why Snapper wasn't around anymore? Were they no, it happened right? in the
0: issue. Happens happened right then, JLA number yeah. 78. And was that just their way of getting rid of him, or had I he think already so. disappeared? No, no, okay. I think they decided. Denny O'Neill was writing the book at that time, and he had decided – he had just basically stopped writing certain characters into the book. And then it's uh, yeah, yeah. Aquaman is one of them, and uh, he just decided then, okay, we're gonna start getting rid of some some characters, and Snapper Carr was one of the ones they got rid of. So, good on you, Denny O'Neill. I've always, I just, I've always hated this character. Never warmed up to him.
1: I like that he had a jalopy.
0: So yeah, uh, yeah, whatever.
1: Well. Oh. For more information on Snapper Car, there is a blog dedicated to him, uh, really pouring out the love and demonstrating how much this character is important in the DC universe, and that's Rob Kelly's GLA Satellite blog. So be sure to check that out.
0: Yes, go ahead. Look all you want for Snapper Car material. Next up is Green Arrow. The
1: at this point would have been the modern day Green Arrow, the Earth One Green Arrow, and uh, drawn by, of course, Mike Grell, uh, best known for probably the best known. Artist, him and Neil Adams are probably the two best known artists on Green Arrow. I would say from, you know, Earth One Green Arrow, unless I'm mistaken.
0: No, I think that's that's accurate.
1: Yep. Now, I wasn't sure when I read this. I was like, "Ooh, is this Mike Grell's first shot at the character?" No, Mike Grell first touched this character back in 1974. So, uh, in Action Comics, I didn't realize it had been that long. So, a couple different things. <clears throat> a couple things to note here. Uh, his first appearance. I love when they when they have. It, A a character like Green Arrow, who there was no real clear line when it stopped being the Earth-2 Green Arrow and became the Earth-1 Green Arrow. I find that stuff fascinating. Because, like, you know, Green Lantern, you get Alan Scott and Hal Jordan. No crap. You know when the change was there. Here, it's just one character slowly became another. It's like Aquaman of, you know, as you like to pretend there's an Aquaman of Earth-2 and uh, an (sighs) Aquaman of Earth-1. Which... There isn't, but there's no clear line of when that happened other than Roy Thomas's fantasies in All-Star Squadron. Here, you know, they, they, they pick Adventure Comics number 250 as the what they decide is the changing point. Now, I haven't read that particular issue, so I don't know what happened in it, but, you know, for some reason they decided that was when things changed over. Maybe I, that was re- retelling of his origin. It was I, 1950.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was 1958, so... Yeah, I haven't read it either. I'm going to bet that that was the one where they gave him a new origin, and so they just said, oh, okay, that's the new one. Because that's that's kind of, in my mind, that's what happened with Aquaman. When Aquaman got a new origin, to me, I'm like, well, that's the beginning of the new Aquaman. He's got a different origin than the one we're familiar with.
1: Yeah. well, in this case,
0: maybe he grew the goatee. I don't know. So, no, no, because he had, no, he didn't grow the goatee until the late 60s. So, oh, okay. Yeah, he, he, looked like the, he looked like, when he joined the Justice League, he looked like the Golden Age Green Lantern. He had the the red green glove, arrow. Green arrow. He had the you know
1: clean shaven and the whole bit. Yeah, that's true. Good point. So uh, I love the logo. I've always loved that logo. I don't know where it first appeared, but that logo is just very sharp. sharp very sharp. No pun intended there. Oh, now um, this is more the classic origin of him being you know stranded on the island and having to learn to survive and you know all that that you you know from Green Arrow. It's interesting here. Roy Harper is kind of glazed over in here. Like I thought he'd get more of a mention, but you know, there's not a lot here. Uh well, you they get gave him also, his own
0: listing later on. So
1: I suppose that's true. So is that in the the, the special drug <laughs> issue? I don't remember. Yes. But that's what they did—a special drug issue. <laughs> well, I mean, that was a big thing in the '80s. You do drug-related comics. Remember, New Teen Titans yes, had one. And but, anyway, so Green Arrow shoots an arrow in the in the surprint. He's he's ne- grabbing someone with his net arrow. It shows him on the island. Uh, you see Oliver Queen's handsome face. Uh, then you get. Um, He's grabbing Black Canary with his arm arrow. Yes, and it's the Black Canary at that point current costume, the sort of one the Jazzercise outfit that didn't last too terribly. Designed by Stephen DeStefano. Was it really? Yes, it was. I've always liked that costume. In fact, my um, I, I own a couple different Black Canary action figures, and um, I did buy that one because I dig that uniform. So there's an action I'm...
0: figure in that costume. Yes, <laughs> that's funny.
1: I think it's part of the, I uh, remember right, I think it was the Justice League uh, international line.
0: Really? Uh, wow.
1: Because well, she was okay. in there for uh, seven issues in okay. that costume. So. Wow. All right. Um, um, I will um, say
0: before we move off, I just looked, that Adventure Comics number 250 is not Green Arrow. Is not a new origin for Green Arrow. It's just a pretty much a generic Green Arrow story. So I get the sense somebody at the DC just arbitrarily picked an issue of Adventure Comics and said, That's the first one. Could be. Could very well be. The Adam, as uh, you see, the Adam's in his classic uniform and then shown as he looked in the Sword of the Adam miniseries, which is that was a great series. I love that series.
1: Um, wish Frank was here to talk about that with you because
0: I'm not sure he'd agree. <laughs> oh. Well, fully for him. Um, so, yeah, there's the Adam getting his own page, um, drawn by Gil Kane, and you see his uh, uh, mad as a hatter wife, Jean Loring, and, uh, <laughs> and um, the, the other woman in his life, the. Uh, the princess—I forget her name—the one that lived down in the jungle that the mm-hmm. Ray found himself in—in in the Sword of the Atom miniseries—and
1: even and I will say the Sword of the Atom look
0: is awesome. Yeah, I dug it. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a neat reinvention of the character. You know, they were trying lots of different things then. Um, it mentions that too. It even says he has currently chosen to live with an alien culture located somewhere in South America, permanently remaining at his six-inch size. So
1: you're like, um. Like, cool. ironically, sort of, Adam was almost as big of a, a shift as sort of Atlantis.
0: Kinda, yeah, yeah. i I'd say I love that series. I, I guess a lot of it depends on when you read it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, and when I, I was thirteen, when that series came out, and I just accepted it. I was like, okay, that's what the Adam is now. Cool. I moved on. You know? <laughs> I think when you get older, you get more curmudgeonly, and you're like, no, leave it alone.
1: Well, I don't think Frank's issue was with the the changing of the Adam itself, but just the, the actual story
0: oh, okay. itself. Okay. Well, he's wrong. Anyway, next <laughs> up is. I don't
1: no. He just runs an Adam blog. Exactly.
0: Hawkman of the Silver Age, run by Joe Kubert. Awesome, of course. Love the pose. Hawkman is flipped upside down, perfectly conveying the sense of graceful flight. Beautiful. We see a close-up of his face. We see a shot of their starship landing, and then we see uh, him and Hawkgirl flying around. Uh, he crammed a lot in there in a, t- in a relatively tiny space, a beautiful picture. I would have loved to have seen this as a double page. I, I think all the Silver Age Justice Leaguers deserved two pages, and I think you really could have gone to t- – as much as I love this drawing, and I do love it, I, would have ma- I can imagine what you could have done um, if you could have done them as two pages, you know, maybe Hawkman and hawkgirl together as a dual listing. I think you really could have opened it up, but for what we have here, it's really beautiful. I and, mean, of course, it's Joe Cuber drawing one of his trademark characters.
1: Dude, this is artistically gorgeous. Yep. I mean, the the giant Carter Hall face in the in the background, and it's even—I don't know—that's it, it, not pointillism. What is that? A zipatone type thing or something?
0: Uh, no, that's—I think that's most likely a dry brush effect. Okay,
1: it, it's just gorgeous the way his face sort of blurs off into the shadows, and it's huge. I mean, it's such a giant piece of the drawing. And you—you you mentioned you nailed it the way you described him the, the grace of flight. This is a stunning stunning drawing. It's possibly one of the best ones in the book. Really is so nice. So, absolutely love it.
0: Yep. Oh, by the way, just looked it up. Nth Metal's first appearance, Flash Comics number 1, 1940. All right, so, so it is a
2: misprint. It's always
0: been Nth Metal. I want free copies that are corrected. Damn it.
1: <laughs> you know, hey, check it out in the Hawkman and Hawkwoman entries here. No mention of Nth Metal. Mm, well, cuz It's right. just an anti-gravity belt. Right. right. So apparently Nth Metal was something specific to um, Earth 2.
0: Uh, next up, finishing out the Hulk... No, whoa, 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 Really? Oh. Th- this
1: character, you, you, you just said this character deserves a double page spread, but apparently only 45 seconds on our show. Yeah, because no one knows who Hawkman is. Well, I love here, they do another one of those uh, accusations corrections in here. They talk about there, there's another false account that they have to correct, which I, again, love that. Now, here's something. I didn't know this. Okay. They talk about uh, he utilizes various Thanagarian technology. One of them is he learned all of his Earth knowledge using a device called the Absorbiscont.
0: Yes. I I love it.
1: I never knew that. First of all, it's an awesome name. Second of all, it's a blog. There's a guy who uses that as his blog name that he's sort of connected with a lot of people who listen to the show. And I never knew that's where it came from. So when I came to that cross that, I was just like, whoa, like you know, one of those big light bulb moments goes on. So – also, something else that just kind of I thought was really strange talks about how he util- he loves to utilize uh, classic Earth weapons, right? But what he does is he he makes duplicates of ancient Earth weapons using a Thanagarian duplicator machine. That's really complicated. <laughs> Could not they just say he uses replica maces or something like that? Like I don't know. That's a lot of effort to go through to, to do that. So I don't know.
0: Back when uh, uh, Tony Isabella was writing the Shadow War of the Hawkman miniseries and then later on he did the ongoing series, in the letters page he used to kind of gleefully say, yeah, there are certain stories that DC published for Hawkman that are – that never happened. They're out of continuity. No, that didn't happen. And I used to, wow. I used to like that. I, I kind of liked it when a writer would just say, I'm not going to make the effort to make this work. It can't work. And there were two things I remember specifically. One was Hawkman donates an entire statue of himself – uh, for, to Midway City And the whole statue floats Because it's made of nth metal And, and Tony Isabella's is like Hawkman would never give An entire statue full of nth metal To just sit around in a public park Like this is this dangerous Rogue element mineral And he's going to just hand it over to Midway City No And then there was, there was, a, <laughs> there was another story Where Hawkman flapped his wings so hard He caused a hurricane Oh, my God. And <laughs> Tony Zabella was like, no, no, he never did that. No, just no, forget it. And I I, I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed just saying, look, that's just ridiculous. That had to be written by Bob Haney. was uh, just like, no, we're not, we're not doing that, so forget it.
1: I do like in here they talk about Midway City. Uh, they talk about the police commissioner. Apparently he was incredibly accommodating to Hawkman and Hawkwoman. <laughs> he, like, helped them out. He He forged identifications for them. It's like, wow, he could lose
0: his badge. For he that. found out from his buddy Gordon. It was just easier just to go along with when you've got a superhero in your city. <laughs> it's just, you know, we can fight him, but what the hell? He's just going to do what he wants to do anyway.
1: So. Now you you mentioned uh, the Shadow War. This con- this Who's Who came out shortly after the Shadow War, actually. So they make reference here on how they're considered traitors by Thanagar right now. Right,
0: right. A great series. Da, 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 da. A great, great series. That's to- I don't know if that's ever been collected. It should be. If it hasn't, it was really good. Really good stuff the modern black canary is wearing her 80s flash dance outfit sort of um yes. which didn't last all that long but uh but it's a really it's a beautiful piece of artwork and i love the lo- the use of the logos the different logos um mm-hmm. it's it, the, the the second logo is from the brief run in adventure comics where black canary was written by it was a two-parter written by denny o'neill and drawn by alex toth which oh, wow. is a great two-parter and um I think that's where they took that logo from because it looks like it's a very tothy logo. Well,
1: I was going to say the first logo on the left actually sort of a stylized version of that was picked up when she had her series in the 90s. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, well, that's basically – that's always been her as basic logo throughout oh, okay. the years. But then I guess they just wanted to, to give her a different one for the second character when they had them next to each other. So
1: You know, it's like I've d- I always dug this drawing and I, I'm one of the few people that actually like that 80s costume. I think it's a nice snapshot of the 80s mm. with the big white boots and stuff. But now sitting so there looking, I'm like – why do they both have their legs up on the logos and, like, it's almost like a, hey, look at my crotch sort it's, of It picture. has a little bit of
0: a um, Playboy layout when they had like, twins or something. Yeah. <laughs> <a little> <laughs> Not that I'm familiar with
1: that. Phantom Stranger is next. You've got his gorgeous classic logo from his own series, drawn by none other than Jim Aparo. Yay! The man sh- I think Rob just had an aneurysm. Um, <laughs> the man who should draw him because he drew his own ongoing series. Yes, he did. Now... I'm going to let you cover most of the Phantom Stranger entry, but I want to point out the first thing, which is his occupation, which is a conscience advocate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love I think yes, Senator Bernie Sanders is the same thing. Uh, yeah, this is the Phantom Stranger study. He first appeared in Phantom Stranger number one, which was – I remember at the time being surprised at I didn't know that. I didn't either. As, as, a, just a, as a kid. I, I learned it later in uh, when I used to read the uh, Overstreet Guides. But uh, I think at this point I was like, Phantom Stranger had his own series? Like, I don't know. Oh, think I, I... Knew,
1: I, I knew that, but I figured he first appeared in, like, JLA or House of Secrets. Yeah, I
0: didn't know. Right, yeah. Well, I think, right. Um, and then I, you know, went and looked it up, and I realized that the Phantom Stranger had a series in the 50s. I didn't know that. I was like, oh, geez, okay. Um, so it doesn't really get into his origin here, because at this point they had not revealed it. Uh, this was still a couple of years before uh, Secret Origins came out, where they gave you the four different potential or huh just a few months before oh was it is that soon okay yeah uh but anyway yeah it's by jim apparo he's fighting some crooks there he's fighting a demon we see him without his uh we see him without his his hat on he still manages to have the dark uh brow leaning over his eyes there and giving <laughs> a little effect. um yeah this is i mean he's the perfect guy to do I mean, my phantom favorite phantom changer. Adventures are the ones by Jim Aparo and Len Wein, so I'm so glad they got him to do it. Very, very simple. I always love this character, and uh, I think it's – history-wise, there's not a lot here, uh, even though he's done a lot because you know so much of it is just unexplained. His powers tend to be whatever the hell the writer needs him to have at any given moment, so there's no need to get terribly specific about uh, these things. Although it does mention he is a formidable opponent. But can be overcome <laughs> by greater supernatural powers and, if taken unaware, physical attacks. So you can, like, hit him over the head, I guess, if you sneak up on him.
1: I like where it says here that basically his role is to counsel people who are having trouble. And then he's trying to get them to take action to fix their own lives. Right. And then only steps in when there's a supernatural threat. I thought that was pretty cool. Yep. The serpent, as you mentioned, is gorgeous. I mean, that, that, that close-up shot you talked about is perfect. Him zapping. What it looks to be, you know, basically a ghostly, you know, demon, Gargassi or, you know, whatever you want to call it, spiritual demon. And then there's this great shot of these people with, I think it's a pitchfork? And and a a torch. torch, yeah. Yeah, and he's kind of protecting some woman. I mean, it's just really nice, really well done, exceptional page. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: Uh, I will mention one last thing about Phantom Changer just because it's appropriate. and uh, Not to toot my own torn here, but uh, many years ago, uh, Lynn Wein had a massive fire at his house. And he lost his entire comic collection. Uh, mm. Apparently other things as well, not just his comics. But anyway, uh, right after that, Mark Evanier, his longtime friend and comic book writer Mark Evanier, um, had a sort of um, – uh, I can't think of, I'm blanking on a word, not a contest. But had a – like a fundraiser, let's put for everyone out there to replace Len's comics. So mm-hmm. he made a master list of all the comics Len lost. And it was like, if you have copies of these books that you want to donate to this, uh, you know, you write me and I'll make sure that, you know, those are taken off the list. And that way nobody's repeating, nobody's mailing the same comics over and over again. So anyway, I had a complete run of The Phantom Stranger. Uh, and so I donated all the ones Lynn wrote. Uh, oh, and wow. And I sent them to Len. So now they are part of Len's collection for those issues of Phantom Stranger that I had. So uh, again, not to toot my own horn, it's just more like... I'm, like, proud that if I had to, like – I you know, I knew I was going to get rid of them eventually because most of the comics I've gotten rid of. But, like, I'm really glad that they've resided back with him because his, his Phantom Stranger with apparel is my favorite ever Phantom Stranger.
1: It's kind of awkward. I saw him selling his collection on eBay out last
0: Ooh, week. boy. Just, just kidding. Hope he got a lot of money for him.
1: Um, you got to mention there's there's some guy out there who does a Phantom Stranger blog. It's kind of time.
0: Well, I, I don't want to mention it because I haven't updated it in a long time. But it's got a ton of history. It does. There, yeah, there is my Phantom Stranger blog. I am the which chronicles every appearance of the character in publishing order. Starting from Phantom Stranger number one in 1955 all the way through, I think I stopped around, like, the second or third issue of his current new 52 series. So, yeah. If you you, you learned, covered everything? Yeah. Every single appearance. Holy crap, I didn't know you got that far. In order, in order, including the issues of comic books that fan Changer appeared in that are not published by DC Comics. <laughs> okay. They're, they exist. All right. Next up is our big star of the book. <laughs> the, yeah, okay? The, the, how he is. The elongated man, drawn by Carmen Infantino and Dick Yorgeno. There he is waving high in his new costume. He's, Hi. he's in the background drinking his Gingold. There he is with tw- his nose twitching, which means there's a mystery with his wife, Sue Dibney. And there in the background, you see him in his two other previous costumes. One with his original suit that had the mask, and then the other one that was more familiar, the one that he wore when he joined the Justice League. Now, this costume was drawn, was redesigned by Stephen DiStefano. Uh, I asked Stephen about how this costume came about, and he said, "He, uh, this is him saying, I quote, I took it upon myself to redesign Ralph's costume. I was up at DC's offices all the time back then, I knew the crisis was happening, and I knew changes in the air for the entire DC cast of characters. Len, 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 we used to talk about, may have given me a list of characters that he or Marv Wolfman or Dick Giordano wanted to see redesigned, but I didn't need much prompting. I was just off and running, tossing out redesigns for Batgirl, Black Canary, Black Lightning, and a cavalcade of second-string villains. I can't remember if Ralph was one of the characters Len mentioned he'd like to see get a new costume or not, but likely I just took a shot at it and it seemed to hit with the first sketch I came up with. I was conscious of wanting to get away from the red, yellow, and black look of Ralph's mid-70 costume, mid-70s costume because I didn't want him to be a 3rd rate plastic man imitation, so I went back to his original purple color scheme. I split him down the center, offsetting the purple with the white, which I thought would look good when Ralph stretched long, as well as put the black band across his chest, which I thought would accent his form while stretching wide. The EM thing was kind of dumb in retrospect, but I was all into unnecessary detail back then anyhow. Now that I think of it, There was one great revision of my initial sketch that Len asked for originally. I thought it would be cool if Ralph wore glasses. I gave him a pair of granny glasses because I figured, hell, he's a detective. He's supposed to be pretty smart. The best way I knew back then to make a character smart looking was to give him glasses. (laughs) I still think it's a pretty clever idea, but Len didn't go for it, and I gave him up in my second sketch. And that's the story of Ralph's post-crisis costume.
1: That's awesome. There you go. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to hear all that, actually, because one of my comments here is, this is my favorite elongated man costume. I mean, I really, really, really like this costume. It's an d- unusual color scheme, to say the least. And I love the EM. I think the EM looks awesome. <laughs> and uh, my, my favorite era of this costume would be when he had his miniseries in 1992. I think that was Ty Templeton, maybe that's right. I'm not really sure I, off the top of my know, head. Maybe. You could
0: be right. I think, well, why am I thinking it, it, like, Parabek
1: did it. It could be. I mean, it was definitely that was you know fun. animated it was series fun, lighthearted. Yeah. yeah, that
0: was a great series.
1: Very fun stuff. But I loved it, his costume and that especially. So yeah, I loved this costume. In fact, I think they used this costume in the Justice League Inter- uh, Unlimited episode he appeared in
0: too. I think so. Because the, the the action figure has this costume.
1: Yeah, and let's be honest, who doesn't have a crush on the Suit Dibney? I know. Uh, I do. Not,
0: I know. It's, well, Brad Meltzer clearly doesn't. But.
1: Well, I'm just leaving it yeah, at that. So, exactly. I also liked Elongated Man because he. Even though he's a stretchy character, he was a detective. He was more about the detective than being silly. So I like that.
0: Next up is the other retronado, the one we're more and more familiar with. Now, I, this is the first one I'm going to say that like, I was actually kind of disappointed with. It's art by Joe Brozowski and Greg Feekston He's just standing there. Now, I know in the background he's using his powers, but I feel like, much like with the Plastic Man previous issue, he should be, like, flying around or something. It's, it's a very boring pose. His leg should absolutely be at the turn. Yeah, yeah. And he's also way too small in the, the, the drawing. Um, and the, the history of him, the actual part of his life where he was John Smith and Red, as Red Tornado only gets one paragraph out of the five hmm Like, it really – it spends a lot of time on the setup. Then it's like, oh, yeah, then he was Red Tornado and he was John Smith. Oh, but now he's off, Now an uh, Earth Elemental in the Crisis of the Infinite Arts. So it's like I really feel like he got a short, short shrift here kind of both visually and in the in the text, unfortunately.
1: The whole page is a mess, unfortunately. It really is. Um, so starting off with Joe Brozowski, I mean, I like Joe because he's a Firestorm artist, but – you know, they teamed with Greg Thiexton, who's typically a Jack Kirby anchor. And you can kind of see the influences of Kirby on the faces in the background. But it's, um, yeah, you, you, all, the, all the reasons you just described. I, I think they were working towards something. Because Brasowski drew not only this one, and he draws Tio Morrow as well. Okay. So I got to wonder if DC was working towards something with that. I don't know. Because, you know, right. they had just finished the, the miniseries with Carmen Infantino. Right. Which was a bit, big, big, fat... Dud, if I understand remember correctly. Um,
0: well,
1: okay. well, I don't think it did well, did
0: it? No, but that okay. Well, then that was the perfect thing to mention. I have an article in the newest issue of Back Issue number seventy two, uh, which yeah. is all about Red Tornado, and like I really like that miniseries. It's written oh, by it's okay. written by Kurt Busiek. In what in the middle of that miniseries, literally in the middle, while it was like number two and number three were coming out. They did the JLA annual where he becomes a, 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 a wind elemental, and it just completely destroys everything Kurt Busiek was working towards in that miniseries. Oh, okay. And it's like, wh- like who's coordinating this? Like, you—it's like literally, like, why am I even reading the rest of these issues when I know that Red Tornado and Kathy split up, and he becomes this elemental and disappears and wants to hate all of Earth? It, it, like, it's the craziest thing. It's it's really really very strange. The miniseries is, I think, pretty underrated. the The artwork, okay. the artwork, you know, it's an in Infantino and in his later years, and I don't think it was particularly great. But the stories, I went back and reread them, of course, for the article, and I was like, boy, this is like kind of like way better than I remember it.
1: Well, Busick, obviously, I mean, he's a great writer, yeah, and, and loves to take continuity and weave it really intelligently. So, I I bet, bet, as me, you know, I'm knocking it just from hearsay, not from...
0: Yeah, it certainly wasn't any game-changer. I mean, if it had sold really well, they would have undone the JLA annual, and that would have been the end of it. But uh, it just seems so strange that Busek worked so hard to put Red Tornado in a better place at the end of that series. And by then, DC had already upended it all. It's very odd. I
1: tell you, it had a a great promotional campaign going on. You know, the the house ads and stuff. Batteries not included, yeah. Yeah, so... It's a shame it didn't work out. So, yeah. Um, and, and I wish this entry was put together a little better because, like, you know, the history, too, it's very detailed, very complex. It's, ca- it's a complex character anyway. I mean, you sit there and start talking about Tornado you know, Tornado Tyrant, Tornado Champion, JSA, JLA, Elemental. He's got four first appearances. Right. I mean, it's a lot to squeeze into five paragraphs, you know. It's like, woof. So, it's—I I wish he had gotten a better shot. Yeah, maybe that's why they gave him such prominence on the cover. They felt sorry for
0: him. Maybe so. Uh, next up, finally, rounding out the hawk characters is Hawk Woman, drawn by Paul Smith. Uh, this is a great piece. I love Paul Smith. You know, back when he did X Men, I was. A, I think this piece is like I don't know. It, I feel like Sharon needs to be bigger in the in the image. There's a lot here. I mean, there's a close up of her face. There's a nice picture of her and Carter snuggling. There's her in the rocket ship. There's her fighting the those hawk weird hawk manhawk characters Man- manhawks right so it, the, there's a lot to fit in and so i guess that's why shara is relatively small i just kind of wish she was bigger in the picture because i she's one of my favorite characters um and i just would like to see her give a little bit more space but other than that great drawing so hot <laughs> so hot terribly sexy
1: um like Paul Smith just does an amazing job here with it. Now her face in the background, he actually actually looks a little bit like a Paris Cullen's face, just with the eyes and everything, but still beautiful. I do like in her history how again a lot of it's repeated by the way from Hawkman, but it really shows where women's lib sort of like skyrocketed here because originally she was Hawk Girl and she was Carter Hall's secretary. <laughs> So, you know, at some point, they say, well, bam, she becomes Hawkwoman and becomes co-director of the museum. So clearly, you know, I, ima- I you know, in my mind, I imagine that all happened in one issue. You know, it's like one of those, like, okay, let's fix this yeah. kind of moments. Yeah. So I, I think that's great that they made her put, her put her on more equal footing with Carter because, you know, I, personally, I've, I I enjoy her more than the Silver Age Hawkman. Me too. So she's a great character. I. I, and I, again, I, I love that aspect where they brought all the Hawks together, made it all one. Like Ken, when Kendra Sanders becomes Hawk Girl, she's a good melding of that whole reincarnation thing as well, where they bring the, the Hawk legacy to the more reincarnation effort. So, good stuff.
0: How, after 50 years of existence, DC has never done a Brave and the Bold with Hawk Girl and Mira, I don't know. Why those two? Because it would be a natural team-up. I think their husbands have a lot in common. They both—they're kind of warrior women. They're superheroes. I think they got a lot in common. They—they pr- they protect the, the the fish of the sea and the birds in the air. It's perfect.
1: Well, now, unfortunately, it can happen I because know, know. Hawk Girl's on Earth too, I, or Hawk Woman. Uh, Is she
0: Hawkgirl or Hawk Woman? Uh, I don't know anymore. I don't know. She, she she's she's an it.
1: interesting character, but yeah. it's an interesting interpretation. Now, now I could see Hawk Woman and Black Canary. Right. That would be fun because you know of uh, a Hawk, Hawk Man and Green Arrow's. Constant battling. Right. That'd be. the heck was that? <laughs>
0: Nothing. You you're going. Pleh. I'm just very angry at your suggestion, that's all. Okay. <laughs> all right.
1: All right. Satana, art by Gray Morrow. Uh, I had to do a little research on why he drew it. He, he drew her in Adventure Comics yes, run. She did. Yes, he yep. did. When she had a, her solo strip. My, my favorite bit here is her known relatives Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> Luigi Zatanna, which by the way is, you know, he's he's a plumber. Um, and then you get into like her dad and Cinderella her mom. I just that that stuff cracks me up. Now, I'm just going to come right out and say it and I'm probably going to offend some people. Satana's origin is too damn complicated. Uh, of, of the pre-crisis of Satana's origin, it's just too damn complicated. I'm going to I'm going to make it shorter and make it easier. Her dad was a stage magician, Golden Age superhero who used magic, her mom is of a race called the Homo Magi. They got together. They had a kid. The father became cursed. Mother disappeared. Somehow she gets a costume based on her mother's at some point. There, she loses her powers for a while. That's the short version. The complicated version, it gets into Adam, who was fabricating her powers, and then they go off to may find i don't know what the hell they go off some sort of soul mission together, even though he kidnapped her, she becomes depowered at some point it's really it's really just a mess like did it make sense to you
0: what part any of it well other than her, her i remember was. I remember her leaving the justice League with the whole Adam story you made it sound like you said the word atom as in eight a m yeah
1: like the but first she, man
0: yeah uh she was she, she was pulled out of Justice League so arbitrarily because there was this whole storyline with her and this guy Adam, where they, yeah, he kind of like you know kidnaps her and sort of does all this horrible stuff to her, but then she goes off him, and she literally quits the Justice League in one panel. And after she gets rescued by the team, she's like, you know what, Adam and I have got to go on our our, our fates are intertwined, so it's best that I leave the Justice League. And Batman and the others are like, but and she's like, okay, goodbye, and she teleports and that's it, she's gone. And it was just so clear that, you know, the book was wrapping up and they were just telling the writer, just get everybody out of the book, you know, just leave the, get it down to Manhunter and the, and the four characters that we're going to try and kill off. So, um, it was kind of an ignominious end for Zatanna in the Justice League, considering her long and storied history with the book. Uh, Wasn't it confusing though too when her mom came back in the
1: alternate dimensions? Yeah, and... I just
0: didn't pay attention to that stuff.
1: Okay, but see, that's what I'm talking like what about. I'm... It's just like
0: what? Yeah, I find I find magic in movies and comics very confusing because it's just to me it's so ill-defined. They so just kind of go, all right, yeah, whatever. I was like, she's the daughter of a magician who's got powers. That's it. I don't need to know any more than that. Th- that's what I'm... Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm boiling
1: it down to. Yeah. That is it. I mean, she is better served by just telling kick-ass stories yeah. with her fighting crime with her magic powers than focusing on her origin. She is much better served that yeah. way. So, um, the art, um, I like Gray Morrow. I like everything in the serprins. Let's put it that way. I'm not a huge fan of the foreground image, though. And
0: yeah, it's funny because you... I mean, Gray Morrow was really good at drawing beautiful women, mm-hmm. and so they went for it. But yet, he put her in kind of not a, of a sexy pose, and she's wearing the costume that, like, I think most people didn't really prefer. Most people like the top hat and tails one, which you see in the serpent. Uh Here, she's got the giant bug on her head, but the pose—the pose, the pose itself—is just not that sexy. Not that it has to be, but it, it just isn't in particular. So, but I mean, it's—it's yeah. it's fine. It's you know what, it's fine. It, mm, I
1: wouldn't agree. It's it's okay. The background though, you have got a beautiful shot of her close up with her face, and as you said, she's got the sorcerer. I mean, the, the stage magician outfit. She's got her and her dad fighting some demons together. You do not see the the costume based on her mother's. Which no, is yeah, the one that the one she was wearing when she joined the Justice League. Yeah, that. See, I hated that costume. I couldn't stand that costume. And of course, the top hat and tails is great. But I do love this particular costume with the bug on her head. Um, probably because that's who, that's how I met her. Mm-hmm. And you know, and again, Paris Collins drew her so sexy in Blue Devil in that costume, where there's that great line where Blue Devil always says, "Lady, even you, you're so sexy, you make the bug look, you make the bug work, mm-hmm. um, something to that effect." So, um, and the nice thing here too is you get two facing pages. You get her on the left, and on the right, you get Zatara, the magic, the master magician, her dad. So it's nice to have those two on facing pages.
0: Yeah, that worked yeah. out. <laughs>
1: The next entry. This is it. This is your moment of zen. This is the one, folks. This is it. Firestorm. I'm going to make the my one comment. Man.
0: I'm going to make my one comment, then I'm going to get out of your way. Professor Stein's head is very flat.
1: I have it written down here. He reminds me of the Spider-Man villain. was was... <laughs> Hammerhead? Is that his name? The Hammerhead, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy with the big flat head the Spider-Man villain. He looks like that. It doesn't look like Professor Stein, which is odd. You know, He's got glasses, so that's the only reason you really know it's Professor Stein. Anyway, but I should say this is drawn by Al Milgram, the man who co-created Firestorm. So it's great that they got him back for this. Uh, I think he was actually working for Marvel at this
0: point. He was. Point. He was really a Marvel guy. So yeah, it was another uh, kind of a nice thing of you say, getting the original creator to come back even though he was not working for DC at the time.
1: Yep. Now, uh, now it's nice to see Ronnie because that is classic, you know, Firestorm first series Ronnie. That is what Ronnie used to look like. Very gee whiz sort of 1950s look. So it's nice to see that again. Now, one of the neat things about this drawing is that Firestorm is flying out sort of sideways. It's almost like you should turn the drawing. Oh, but the heads go the other way. So it's almost like the drawing's going two ways. So it's like an MC Escher drawing of Firestorm. And. Here's something that I learned from talking to Al Milgram that's interesting. If you look at his sleeves, you know, he's got, Firestorm's famous for his puffy sleeves. And if you notice here, Rob, his sleeves are sort of elongated, though like they're dragging behind him because, you know, the, the movement, right? Sure. That was intentional. When Al Milgram, when he was designing the costume, he knew he didn't have a cape, but he wanted something to reflect motion when he was flying at fast speeds. So when they came up with the puffy sleeves, he would elongate the sleeves to show that they're being dragged behind him because he's going so fast. Good idea. So, there you go. Now, one of the things Firestorm suffers from is there's a lot of words. So, the drawing is not as big as it could be. I mean, there's words all over the place. But because you're talking about two characters, it takes up a lot more personal data space and all this. And the, and Firestorm has some crazy powers. He, I don't know he if has some
0: of the longest power weapons entry of any character, I'd say. Well, the,
1: it, Firestorm has... a crap ton of powers i mean he's insanely powerful he really is so the history is extraordinarily small it's basically just boils down to his origin because there's so much in the personal data and there's so much in the powers and weapons but you know here we sit in 1985 it's eight years after firestorm's creation you get the original artist to come back do a great drawing of firestorm you know at this point ronnie and the professor are, are going strong and Firestorm was a rising star. This this is great. You know, this entry just obviously makes me happy. Uh, I hope it makes you happy too, Rob.
0: <laughs> were you satisfied with it? Like as a kid, as a Firestorm fan, were you like when you saw it, you thought it was well represented?
1: Um, no, because as a child, I did not appreciate Al Milgram's art. It took a while, right? Until I became a little older, because I came in. You know, my first issues I read were Raphael K. Anna.
0: Ah, right. big difference.
1: And then I'd w- then I'd go back and read some Pat Broderick, and then I'd go back and read the Silver Age stuff. Which at that point, I, I you know I was twelve years old or whatever. I hadn't developed a taste for the Silver Age yet, and so I was like, "Man, these are old school. These are nothing," you know. And uh, so I did not have the passion for Al Milgram that I have now. So I would have I would have probably been looking for a Broderick or a Kannon drawing at that point in my life. But I'm very pleased with this from, as a classic fan. Right. Although, like you said, Stein looks a little bit off. A lot of bit off. <laughs> Justice League of America uh, headquarters, which is pretty darn cool. I do like how they use the classic Justice League of America logo from the 60s, which was pretty cool to fun to see again. And then uh, you get it's – it's a nicely drawn piece by Howard Bender and Roy Richardson. It's schematics or cutaways of – on the left-hand side, you get the uh, – what was it called? Secret Sanctuary? Is that what yeah, the, Secret the Sanctuary, yep. The mountain headquarters, the original mountain headquarters, and then the right-hand side, you get the satellite. And uh, the satellite's kind of fun because it's actually just a picture of the satellite, but then little circular, I guess, slice away pieces—maybe what you call it—or maps. Like I don't detailed
0: know. details or something
1: like that. Yeah, and they spent a lot of time on some crazy stuff that just cracked me up. Like you know, in the mountain on the, on the second floor, there's a balcony, and I can't help but wonder—a balcony to what? You're in—you're in the middle of a mountain. What do you? What do you? What balcony are you on? You know, are you outside the mountain when you're doing that? I don't know. Uh, you know, there's the water stall and the underground telephone line. They take the time to, to note all these things, which just crack me up. There's a great souvenir room. There's a gymnasium. There's a pool which has a water passage to Atlantic. I don't know why anyone would need that. They've got the elevator and the lab and this suspended staircase. Did that really need to be identified? <laughs> So anyway, it's, it's a fun drawing, and you get the hanger and crappler beams for. La- I love. I actually I do like the hanger because you not only get the side shot of it, you get the above shot, trying to show you how both the bat plane and the invisible plane can be wedged in there together. <laughs> actually, oh, and this, this, that must be the aeroplane too.
0: I guess so. Yeah. Uh, it begins. <laughs> Batman was chortling every time Green Arrow landed that thing. So. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. And then the the satellite one is nice. Uh, I was, you know, as much as the satellite, I always thought it was kind of goofy. It's like something about the satellite itself I'm just attracted to. I just love it. You know, the satellite has, you know, meeting rooms and the museum, the computers. They actually have an archery range. They've got a food prep area. They've got, you know, sleeping quarters, which don't look all that private, by the way. So I'm kind of wondering, did Black Canary and Wonder Woman get the privacy they needed? But anyway. Uh, amphibian life support. I guess that's Aquaman's room? Is that what that means?
0: I guess so. I don't remember them ever showing that (laughs) in the book.
1: Here you go, folks. If you're keeping count at home, take a drink. Martial arts area. There it is. Uh, you know, docking hatch. All these fun things. And they talk about how, um... There's a 24-hour like people get assigned to 24-hour monitor duty. That's a knew, long shift. That's a long shift. Yeah, I knew <laughs> monitor duty sucked, but I didn't realize it was 24. Hours. I mean, what are they doctors? I mean, what the heck? That's brutal. So and and then the Detroit bunker gets just like you know it gets a paragraph, but it, there's no picture of it. There's nothing you can see of it. So uh, it gets the short shrift. Well, by this and, point, they had
0: moved back into the secret sanctuary, so.
1: I guess that's true. They had, that's right. They did move back in the secret section, or the, the Justice League Detroit. But it made me sad because you know the bunker. When I came in, my era, my first Justice League era, was they were in the bunker. Yeah. You know, so uh,
0: my my uh, my two thoughts about this was one, I, it makes me miss it makes me miss the satellite all over again because at this point they just blown it up. And in the uh, upper right, I love the microfilm library that the Justice League has the ability. <laughs> to build this satellite, which is unlike anything anybody's ever seen, and yet they've never heard of a flash drive or even floppy disks. Everything is still on microfilm. I just enjoy that.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And Next, of course, the microfilm library is stacked with microfiche machines. (laughs)
0: Looking through old newspapers, things like that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Next up is the Vixen. From the Justice League whose first appearance is Acting Comics number five twenty one. Now this is always funny to me. Yeah, right, I was about to say that. It's always funny to me about how they count these things because Vixen did technically first appear in ads for her own series in nineteen seventy eight that it ran in other DC comics but was never published due to the implosion. But she is there, like so. It's like I guess you know. Uh, I guess if you're uh, Bob Overstreet, you worry about this stuff. But like, does it count as a first appearance if she's not technically in a story? But the ad, but she's in an ad. So I mean, like, is she there? I don't. Know. You know. So I guess they're saying that doesn't count, even though, you know, she's there with a logo, a name, an image, and everything. Um, her original costume was a light blue and yellow kind of mix. And she that's what she's wearing in her, quote-unquote, true first appearance, which is Action Comics 521. And then later they converted her into this costume, which is the one she's most people familiar with from um, her appearances in Justice League, Detroit.
1: Yeah, I figured something in the surf frame would show that original mask. Like, she wore a mask at first. Yep. Another character, no mask. Um, I figured they would show that. And if I remember right, Frank would have to verify this. I want to say there was... Like, that costume that appeared in number one never exactly reappeared. Like, what she was seen later in was an alteration. So, yep. like, there's, there's a version of her costume that never really made it. Maybe that's the ad. I don't remember. But it's a very nice piece. I mean, Luke McDonnell was drawing Justice League at the time. You know, he was going to be drawing Suicide Squad, which is where she was heading uh, at this point. So, it, it – he did – I mean, sometimes sometimes I feel like Luke McDonnell's art's rough. I don't want to say sloppy because it's not sloppy, but it's just rough. This is, this is beautiful she's she's a beautiful woman the, maybe Bob Smith helped tighten the line work I don't know but it's a, it's a great great drawing it's, you got the eagle and the lion in the background you got her running you know she's got her hanging out with gypsy it's a and then the fashion model
0: stuff it's a really really well put together piece yeah I'm, I think the pose is a little on the boring side but they do get into the fact that she was a model so it is a little bit of a model pose as opposed to it was like a superhero-y pose oh wait a minute you know what's missing her tantu totem. The totem, yeah, the thing that gives her the powers. It's nowhere to be seen. Nope. nope. Maybe her uncle's got it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's Vixen. The Vixen. I always think she's called Vixen, but here she's The Vixen.
1: Moving on to an intro I really, really like, actually. Steel by Chuck Patton and Larry Malstead. This is Steel from the Justice League Det- Detroit era. Uh, Henry Hank Haywood Third. Occupation? Troubleshooter, (laughs) interesting choice. Uh, You know, it's a sad, sad story because he's the grandson of Commander Steele, who was a hero in the All Star Squadron until Jerry Conway decided he wasn't and turned him into a bastard grandfather who uh, did terrible things to his grandson and, and, and. Hank's parents died so he was raised by his grandfather and this gentleman named Dale Gunn. Now if you read uh, Vibe in the New 52 you know who Dale Gunn is. Pre-crisis um, or pre-New 52 Dale Gunn was like a total badass but he was a little bit of an older gentleman and he helped raise Hank. Well grandfather sends Dale away for a while and while he sends him away he does all these incredibly painful operations on Hank. Transforms him into a basically a bionic man much like himself. I mean, it sounds really horrible. I remember the issues, like, what his grandfather did to him. Horrible, 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 twisted crap. I mean, just replaced his bones with metal bones. I mean, just some of the most painful things you can imagine. Anyway, um, he then joins the Justice League of Detroit, offers them their new headquarters, the Bunker. Uh, and he, then he eventually has it out with his grandfather. His grandfather doesn't like the direction the Just League Detroit's going because they've got a guy who break dances on the team. And so he has it out with his grandfather. He stands up for that. And, um, you know, he, he goes on to be a hero and does it without being under the shadow of his grandfather, which is a big deal. I don't remember if the issues themselves were particularly good. But as a story, that's a really powerful story. You know, he, how he had to stand up to his grandfather and be his own man and all that stuff. Um, I mean, you read it for your website. Are the issues? I read them. I just read them in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I read them too. I just can't remember. I mean, were the issues decent or not?
0: Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, they weren't bad. I yeah. I don't know. I just didn't. I I didn't really like any of the new characters. (laughs) I Vixen. Other than Vixen, I guess. Um. Yeah, I thought it was. She was. He was okay. I mean, Jerry Conway constantly had him pitted against Aquaman. Which was always a weird thing because he wrote Aquaman as kind of an a-hole. So you were sort of defending Steel, but at the same time it was like, yeah, but it's Aquaman-ing. It? So I don't know. I, I, I never warmed up to this character. I just I, I agree with you about like the, the, the horrors that his grandfather put him through. It was very sympathetic. and But I don't know. There was something about him that just seemed sort of kind of bland. To me, yeah. that it just didn't—he never registered all that much of anything. And and actually, his best issue was JLA number two forty-five, where the whole issue was a solo Steel story, he had which traveled to the future. Right? He traveled time into the Cooper's future, or And he ends up running into the Lord of Time. That's what and it the was. Lord of Time is now an old man, and they live in this sort of like. Uh, post-apocalyptic universe where there's these sort of monsters and, and it's a kind of a really sad story but that's to me is m- the best moment for Steele because he sort of gets the whole book to himself i mean almost <laughs> literally i think he i think none of the other jlayers appear at all so clearly yeah. conway liked him and wanted to give him I, I think they were setting him up to being like one of the main guys because he just yeah. has that classic look but i just don't think it totally panned out and then of course <laughs> they end up killing him off in the final <sighs> run of jla detroit in a very that... nasty way too really
1: bothered me because I like I was reading this uh, this was when I was reading the Justice League I mean when I started reading Justice League it was the Justice League Detroit that's how I found the Justice League at that point um and Steel was probably one of my favorite characters and I don't know whether I just put more on him than was really on the page or what but I just I really connected with the character I love the character so when he died I was really really upset and um I just always thought he's a great character I think he's got a great look um, again, that the plot of him standing up to his grandfather was awesome. Just cool stuff. And the sad part is, you know, when this entry is printed right here, he's dead in a couple of months.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's so sad. <sighs> Poor Hank. And if you ever wanted to wonder what, if you ever wondered what Chuck Patton looks like, look at Dale Gunn. That's true. True that. <laughs> up next, vibe. <laughs> By Luke McDonald.
1: <laughs> you like that? I covered it like you would. Didn't I like
0: I? that. Well, I like you actually telling people not to do something.
1: Don't don't look him up. Don't don't, don't look up those guy Luke don't, McDonald. Don't look
0: through. up at Don't look at Hannigan either. Don't,
1: oh, just, don't. I like at Hannigan.
0: Uh, just, you'll regret it. Just don't do it. <laughs> oh, that's not true at all. I
1: like at Hanigan. Anyway, uh, up next is vibe. Vibe. See um, now,
0: this artwork I really dig by Luke McDonald.
1: Well, Lou Donald drew Justice League Detroit, right. and this would be the way he drew it. I'm not a fan of this. I'd rather see Chuck Patton draw Vibe. Well, I
0: would too, but I'm saying I like this drawing. I think the Suicide Squad one is weak, but this one I think is, is sharp.
1: He spent more time on it you know, than the Suicide He's Squad one. He had to draw a bunch of characters. Here he got to focus on one. Mm-hmm. So you see Vibe in the front in his second costume, which has a lot less yellow. You see a close-up of his face without his sunglasses on. You see him blasting a mesa with his vibrational powers. And then you see the life of him being choked out by one of Professor Ivo's androids. Um, so this is Paco Ramon, folks. You may have heard of vibe um, on the Flash TV show. That's who's made him very popular now. He, he, there he goes by Cisco Ramon, but is the same character. Now I got to tell you, under occupation, uh, it says you're street gang leader and adventurer. Mm-hmm. You know what's missing? Well, at first I thought you know what was missing? Breakdancer breakdancer. But then I realized, that's not really an occupation. That's a way of life. So, it's okay that it's not in here. Now, as reading this, I had forgotten Aquaman actually opposed Vibe's entry into the Justice League. Yes, he did. So, wow. And uh, just to point out, here's how badass Vibe was, guys. You know, a lot of characters die on missions and things like that. They had to program an assassin robot to hunt him down and murder him. That's how awesome Vibe is. He didn't just go out in a battle. They had to actually assassinate him. He's a tough dude. So, um, again, I'm not a huge fan of it. If you want more on Vibe, you should check out our April Fool's podcast we did a few years ago. We did a whole episode of the Fire and Water podcast. We called it El Fuego y Agua. And the whole thing was a gag where we just pretended that the Fire and Water podcast had been dedicated to Vibe all these years. And I had an absolute hoot with that episode. It's one of my favorites. I think it was an absolute blast to record. I I don't know. It might have been painful to listen to, but frankly, I don't care. We had fun recording it. So, um, again, if you want more on Vibe, um, check out the Flash TV show, really. Or check out Diablo Frank. He has a Justice League Detroit blog, and there's a lot of old um, – that hasn't been updated a lot lately, but there's a lot of information out there on Vibe. Uh,
0: next is uh, Gipsy, a member of the Ugh. Justice League. Because n- you, no you don't have a pronunciation key. Yeah, there's guide. no pronunciation key. I have no idea. Uh,
1: Gyps, gypsy
0: for you at home. Oh, okay. All right. It's like that Fleetwood Mac song. Uh, the artist by Chuck Patton and Bob Smith. Uh, no one loves Chuck Patton more than me. This is not the greatest listing in the world. It's just a little dull on the layout, uh, I would say. Um, but I, What? I think the layout's a little dull. I do. I love it. Okay. Well, this is the era of the material girl,
1: Madonna, right? And she's standing there looking all Madonna-ish. Hands on her hip. You know, hips kind of cocked. Barefoot, one foot pointing. She looks great. She looks great. And then the logo this is this cool patchwork-looking logo. And up above her is everything sort of skewed at an angle where she's, you know, blending in with a wall. And you see these machine guns coming in your foreground. You can't even see the bad guys. I think it's a nice looking picture.
0: Okay. All right. I just think the layout's just not that great. That's all. I, I, I like all the elements. I just wish they'd been arranged in a slightly different way.
1: And I think Chuck Patton's wife probably loves him more than you do.
0: I said I love Chuck Patton's work. Yeah, I don't remember the word work. Oh, did I say that? Hmm. Oh, maybe that was a Freudian slip. Uh, you know, when you think about it, Gypsy would make a great uh, girlfriend for Ragman. Kind of, yeah, actually. Yeah, that they would give, work. They could just, you know, use their little uh, hand-stitched clothes together. They could, uh, you know, it would be great. Go to thrift stores. would awesome. Ooh, or she could be a new ragman. man. <laughs> that's what the world needs. Next no, is... No, she,
1: she could be the new 52 ragman. Again, that's what the world needs is another ragman. Next, we're moving on. Yes, we're moving on. Uh, no, we're sorry. not. Oh, so no, no, yeah, we're not. This is why so. the show
0: is so
2: long. Who cares?
1: Get it? Who's who? Who cares? People come to hear this stuff. This is this is <sighs> anyway. So, Ju- Gypsy was a hallmark of the um, Justice League Detroit era. For those of you who aren't terribly familiar with it, she was. Here's the crazy thing: the way she came into the league was kind of interesting. She's first of all on the Justice League, and she's a 15 year old girl, which is mind blowing that they would let actively, you know, let an active 15 year old girl on the team. Firestorm's only 16 or 17, but people don't know that. Her, there's no denying that she's this teenage kid. And she's just basically sort of hanging around the Justice League Detroit folks. And eventually they're like, ah, yeah, why not? Come on, join the team. Sure. Which just blows my mind. Kitty pride I get because it's a school for training people. This one I don't get. So, anyway, um, she's got the patchwork clothes. Eventually she would get costumes and stuff. But she has, she has really interesting powers because she is a chameleon of sorts. She doesn't turn invisible, but she just blends in with her surroundings. And I like here they make they make a point of saying um, somewhere about like if she moves too quickly, the blending camouflage gives her a real bizarre appearance, which is kind of interesting. And then they talk a little bit about her mental powers, which were sort of burgeoning, were just coming up at this point, and um, kind of freaking people out.
0: Yeah, they did a little bit of that in Justice League, and then they, they, you know, the whole book ended before she had a chance to really show that off.
1: Yeah. Okay, you may move oh, on.
0: Thank you. You know what? I'm the one guiding this episode. You know, we talked about, it, and yet you're the one who's deciding when we move on. It's interesting.
1: Well, here's what I was thinking about: is like a lot of times we'll talk about characters on the show, yeah, and we don't talk about like who they are. Everyone and, like, already what... knows who they are. Not everyone knows who Gypsy is. Chad Bokelman wasn't even born. <laughs> Hell, he was. He wasn't even born when she appeared in Birds and Prey a couple years huh? ago. Okay. Um, so I, I think uh, you know we should take a moment to kind of put the character
0: in perspective for people. Okay. Can we go on now? Page three. Sure. Thank you, boss. Okay.
1: The Kapow moment of there the There we industry. go. Finally. <laughs> it is Justice League. Boom. Kevin Maguire picture, which, honestly, I almost wish they had just dropped the text and gave me a full two-page spread of this picture because it's so gorgeous. This is Kevin Maguire drawing not just— And Terry Austin. And Terry Austin, I'm sorry. Not just drawing the Justice League International-type era, but he's drawing the entire Justice League. And as it should be, up front, in the center, are the two most representative members of the Justice League, Gypsy and Creeper. It's perfect. (laughs) Um, What the? Huh? Creeper? What, what the, huh? It even talks about in the intro, Creeper had just joined the Justice League. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, he didn't. that That's a stretch, yeah. Well, clearly what happened there was he was going to join. Like, uh, Giffen and Dematis had planned for him to join, probably, and then something changed, and so they went a different direction. Because they talk about him sort of joining just recently, and around the same time they talk, start talking about it. Um, you know, the the current Justice League and, and the international, or do they... Do they get into the international aspect of it? They 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 hint at it, but they don't actually call it just like international in the entry. But so I think yeah, were... mentions help grant them international diplomatic status. Yeah, and, and Giffen and DeMatteis have talked about this before. How they used to get plans to to add characters to the series, and then by the time they got around to finally adding them, something had changed. They'd have to change direction, and I think that's one of these cases. It's just kind of funny that Creeper got the front spot right next to Superman. So uh, beautiful drawing. I mean, everyone is gorgeously rendered. It's one of the few chances I've gotten to see, you know, get uh, McGuire draw Firestorm. He looks totally awesome. I I dig his Aquaman. Yep. You know, and of course, all the JLI characters like, you know, Mr. Miracle and and Guy Gardner and uh, Captain Marvel and Booster Gold and all them look great. Vibe looks totally badass. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous picture. Now, in the text, there's absolutely no mention in the whole thing of Superman or Wonder Woman, which would be correct in post crisis. However, Superman is in the drawing. In fact, he's the center person of the drawing. Yep. So it sort of suggests that Superman's still integral to the Justice League, and yet he's not mentioned at all. I don't know whether maybe they hadn't decided at that point or something. I'm not sure. And they do credit him in the in the little heads as Superman two. So apparently, we're still sticking from the Who's Who volume one, you know, designations.
0: And it mentions Batman two as well.
1: Yeah, good point. Yeah, and they don't even need to do that anymore because nope. now they've they've had the update yep. with Batman. So. Um, just a beautiful piece. I could stare at this thing all day. I would love a poster of this. Now, I, I have some, you know, they've distributed lots of Kevin McGuire, JLA, because I mean, he was famous for doing this this JLA pose, or Justice League pose, you know. In fact, I've got a, a great little poster from the Justice League source book from, the, from uh, one of the role-playing games and it had a poster of McGuire Justice League, kind of similar to this, but this is just a beautiful one. I'd love to have this as a thing. Hmm. So, you, um, if for more information on the Justice League, uh, I know a guy who used to run a blog called the Justice League Satellite Blog. Uh, he used to cover the entire Silver Age of the Justice League. And then you said there's something else in the wings, I guess. We'll... Somebody
0: else is working on a podcast. Yep. I don't want to say who it is in case they you know, they don't right. want me to reveal it. Yeah, no, I love this piece. I love that McGuire fits in so much characterization, even though everybody's just standing around. Like you see, hawkman it looks like Hawkman and Hawk girl are, are holding hands, but you can't quite tell. Mm-hmm. But it's very dignified But it did, but on the other side of it Green Arrow and Black Canary Are hugging each other yep. Which is really sweet Vibe is doing his Stupid badass thing That he does <laughs> The Adam is being friendly Batman is setting off Into the background It's, it's a wonderful But yeah the, I was pretty disappointed With the previous Justice League entry The one by McDonald and Ray Oh yeah um, But this one really Delivers the goods So and it is great To see all the characters From all the different eras Because you never get To see them all together Right You know um, So that's really great Although I will have to Take issue with some of the text, and then it goes out of its way to take a swipe at Aquaman. It says, participation in League emergencies varied over the years as individual heroes were called away by crises of more personal nature. At one low point in the group effort, Aquaman, the only active founding member, enacted a clause in the bylaws and disbanded the Justice League. Well, thanks, guys. You really had to just get that in there.
1: Well, no, I, th- I think that's fair, though. I mean, it it was the low point. Not, I not, know, but... It, you're they're, not, just... they're not calling Justice League Detroit a low point. What they're saying is there was the war with Mars... And nobody showed up. I know, but, uh, you know, it just feels a little like, you know, <laughs> to get out. I I, th- I think it's fair, and I think you're a little too close to the issue, perhaps. maybe on this quite possible.
0: And that's Who's Who, Justice League of America edition. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did and you want to hear more theme-specific Who's Who shows, let us know at FireAndWaterPodcast.com. Shag should be back soon-ish with another installment of Who's Who in the Legion, where he and some special guests were asking the eternal question, Who's Next?
1: The Justice League of America, the combined might and power of the Man of Steel and the Cosmic Crusader, the Winged Avenger and the King of the Sea, the Tiny Titan and the Scarlet Street, all working together for good against evil as the Justice
2: League of America.